this is from 1 John 5, the first six verses. And this is towards the end of your, of your Bibles here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born from God. Whoever loves someone who is a parent loves a child born to the parent. This is how we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep God's commandments. This is the love of God. We keep God's commandments. God's commandments are not difficult because everyone who is born from God defeats the world. And this is the victory that has defeated the world, our faith. Who defeats the world? Isn't it the one who believes that Jesus is God's son? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. So, all, all of this, uh, th- this is a, a little bit of a strange um, passage, especially the end, but if, if we've been reading along and following along, we see that this is very much in line with how uh, John, who, the writer of 1 John, is working here. Uh, like, imagine um, 1 John is kind of like a spiral staircase that maybe even starts wider and then gets narrower at the top so you're circling around these themes and every time you see it you're like oh I've read that before I've seen that before but maybe it's a little more intense every time that he calls back to something he's already talked about so like in the previous weeks we've talked about God's tangible love do you remember that he says this love that you've you've heard that you've said that you've held in your hands or talked about God's family-making love, which calls us little children, brothers and sisters, first to Jesus and then to each other as sons and daughters of God. We've talked about God's extravagant, like, prior love that we love because God first loved us. And, and we've, we've also heard about God's, last week, like, dynamic love that spins us out and calls us to boldly love in an outward way. It says you have not seen God, but every time you walk out of your door, you see your neighbor. And that's where you express God's love. That's where you experience God's love. In the least, the last, the littlest, the lost, and the closest to death. In the most unlikely or hardest to love places in your daily sphere. And so now, um, today, at the end of this passage, we get this kind of enigmatic spot where we, we haven't heard these words before. Said, so this is the one, Jesus, who came by water and by blood. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And I, I was just kind of captivated by that because I, I knew I couldn't skip over that because you guys would be sitting there being like, what does that mean, the water and the blood? And why did he take the easy pass to not talk, <laughs> talk about that stuff? So I, when I read that, and, and this is normally a good tip, like if you have any alarm that goes off in your head of like, hey, I, I might have heard that before. I might know a little of something. Then you go back to it, that and you refer to that other passage. So if we remember in that, in that passion narrative of Jesus on the cross, there's this moment in John 19 where the soldier, Jesus dies and into 
God's hands, he commits his spirit. And then it says a, a soldier um, doesn't break his bones. Um, the, actually, this is what it says, verses 33 through 37 in John 19. But when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they didn't break his bones. It said one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood in water. And said one of, um, and it says, the man who saw it has given testimony, and the testimony is true. The man who saw it gave testimony, the testimony is true. The spirit is truth. Um, and it says, he knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you might also believe. These things happen so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones should be broken. As another scripture says, they will look on this one they have pierced. So a couple things are happening here. First, this man witnessing thinks that the water and the blood flowing from Jesus' side is apparently significant enough to warrant our belief in Jesus. He says, he tells the truth that you should believe in Jesus because water and blood come out of his side. And perhaps this community that John is writing to is struggling with this because they're struggling to understand how, like, the nature of Jesus' suffering. Um, like it, it wouldn't be hard for them to imagine a human being suffering a, a death via crucifixion, but it would be really hard for them to imagine a God in the flesh, their savior, suffering death via crucifixion. So they came up with all these ideas about how maybe Jesus only seemed to be God, or maybe, um, maybe he, he didn't really die. He was kind of like, you know, um, this God man who could kind of glance to the side at the camera and kind of wink because he knew how this whole thing was going. But, but this witness says it is by the blood in the water, by the bodily fluids coming out of this man's side. Like when you are pierced and deflate like a balloon, you are really dying. And that's enough to elicit our belief in Jesus. That, that, that's exactly what should elicit our belief in Jesus. That we don't believe in some like ghost-like God-man, but this real person who suffered this death on the cross. The water and the blood also testify to this other main point, that Jesus truly was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we know that because it says they didn't break his legs. That, that was what the scriptures alluded to, was this perfect sacrifice. You don't give God your second best. You don't give God your lamb with a broken leg. You give God the perfect, unblemished sacrifice to stand in for a sinful world, to stand in for the sins of God's people. This was like a Passover meal that would bring about deliverance from sin and slavery and death. So there's this whole other level also when we read this text especially during this Easter season which you know six weeks ago we invited two brothers into this family that we have via baptism that that the water and the blood uh, might also stand in for these these huge symbols of our faith like the water being baptism where the heavens are are ripped open that's what Mark's gospel says and a voice comes down and says you're my son my beloved, and you, I am well pleased. And that's what happens at each and, one of, each and every one of our baptisms. And that's what happens when y'all sit here and watch Gary 
um, up, up there is, is you remember when that was spoken unto you, even when maybe before you could remember, m before you could hear that for yourself. That God is saying, you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You are my son. And I can say that to you because I can say that to Jesus. So <clears throat> this water that was once this site of chaos, like remember that in the Genesis story? Like there was just water. Like that's, that's actually why sea monsters happen in like, ancient mythology because the water was just where crazy stuff happened and there was chaos and that's where bad stuff happened and you go and you don't return. But the water that was once a site of chaos becomes a site of blessing. It becomes a, the place where the spirit dove comes down and creates and recreates. This is what happens after the flood. Those waters of death and chaos and then the, the dove comes down bringing the olive branch of peace. And God says, I promise I will not do this again to you. We are done with chaos. We're bringing about peace. Rowan Williams, uh, former archbishop, notes this about our baptism. He says, if we ask the question, where might you expect to find the baptized, those of us who have been baptized, one answer is in the neighborhood of chaos is where you should find us. It means, he says, it means you should expect to find Christian people near to those places where humanity is most at risk, where humanity is most disordered, disfigured, and needy. Christians will be found in the neighborhood of human confusion and suffering, defenselessly alongside those in need. If being baptized is being led to where Jesus is, then being baptized is being led towards the chaos and neediness of our humanity that has forgotten its own destiny. Where might you expect to find the baptized? In the neighborhood of chaos. But this water, it also cleanses. This baptismal water, it, it's a beautiful visual aid of our repentance, turning from what we were and what we thought we knew into something new and something unknown and something risky and something beautiful. The water present at any um, uh, this water is also kind of the water present in any sort of birth, right? Especially a new birth, like you've been born into the spirit. And so like if we remember Jesus' talk with Nicodemus at night, uh, Nick at night, right? Uh, Nicodemus went to him at night because he was so nervous about being this religious guy who had these serious questions, right? Um, so, so he kind of did it under cloak and dagger and went to Jesus and said, all oh, this sounds great. And Jesus yeah, but you got to be born again. And he says, how can I be born again? I'm like in my 40s. Can I crawl into my mom's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, no, you must be born anew by the Spirit. And, and, and we're so used to that terminology to be born again that we don't realize how revolutionary an act of, of birthing by the Spirit, this breaking water for the groaning creation that yields new life, a new creation right in the midst of the old. And so we have this water flowing from Jesus' side, hearkening in new creation. And then there's the blood. And maybe the blood might also on another level signify our communion that we'll gather around in a minute where we remember the cross. Jesus' blood spilled at the hands of empire for the sake of our sin. Like the cross, those beams are literally the crux, the 
intersection of the world, sin and broken, brokenness vertically, like against God, the ways we've broken communication, we've severed our covenant, we've broken faith, all the way back to our ancestors in the garden, but also horizontally. The ways that we perpetuate alienation and rebellion, that we hurt creation, that we oppress and we fear our neighbors. Further cracks that obscure this beautiful icon, this image of God in each of us, every person you've ever met or ever will. And then at the center of that, at the intersection, the center of the universe stands this Jesus on the cross, dying a criminal's death and in so doing, submitting to the worst the world can do to righteousness, to continue Tammy, who preached last week, her kind of riff on Bert Bacharach, on what the world needs now is love. Like, that's not what we want. We, we, we might need love, but how we treat love when we get love is, we treat it like that's not what we want. We need it, but we don't want it. The cross of Jesus is maybe the great, greatest witness to the fact that we never quite get the God we want. And if we did, that would be an idol. That would not be the living God. That would be some dead, unresponsive God that we control how that God acts. Not the living God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus, or the living God of Sarah and Rahab and Ruth and Mary. And then three days later, the spirit of this living God calls Jesus forth from the grave, and everything we thought we knew about how the world works is changed forever. Everything we thought we needed to do to preserve our life was now challenged because death's sting was relativized and made small. Like Paul goes on like this taunting spree about death. He says, death, where is your sting? Like he's just taunting this thing that controls still most of our lives, how we walk around because we're just so scared of dying and that manifests itself in so many small ways. But Jesus' death on the cross then like unmasked this boogeyman of death as like a fraud. We now can live free from the pressures and fears that drive us because of death. Romans 8 says, so now there isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. God has done what was impossible for the law since it was weak because of selfishness. God condemned sin in the body by sending his own son to deal with sin in the same body as humans who are controlled by sin. So we're not controlled by sin and neither are we condemned. The body and the blood bring us from sin and death to life call us repeatedly back into God's family now as people who are alive and responsive to God. If you have any amnesia about this, as we all do from time to time, there's this verse from this old African-American spiritual that might help. It says, how do you know it? And it says, the blood done sign my name. Like, that is how we remember how we've been brought into God's family and made alive. The water and the blood are mingled. The water also acts like the blood. It pulls us into God's family. It adopts us as chosen daughters and sons with bonds strong or stronger than mere bloodline ties. 
Like we're learning this with Simeon, that his adoption into our family not only makes us our, our son, but makes him as much or more of our son than any of our other kids. And, and, and he doesn't look like our kids, but he will start to share resemblances of our family because he's been brought into this family and he's been made a brother. He has sisters, he's got a mom, and he's got a dad. Have you ever considered then how baptism also makes you a sibling of everyone else that's ever been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because these people have been given, you've been given an elder brother in Jesus, and we're all connected then to that family tree. Like We have a brother in Jesus, and we have this good father as well. And if you have the same brother, and if you have the same father, like it or not, you have brothers and sisters all over the place, right? So this winds up being the most wild, non-traditional, like unruly family imaginable because it contains each and every one of us figuring out over and over again how to act like what we've already been called in Christ, sons and daughters of a good God. So today, go into your week worshiping this Jesus who First John reminds us came by water and by blood. Remember your baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, we would love to help you get baptized to come into this family. Remember your baptism, and as a baptized person, follow Jesus into the neighborhood of chaos in your own life, into the lives of your family, into the lives of your actual concrete sidewalks and flesh-and-blood neighbors. And as we gather around this table, remember Jesus' death on the cross, his broken body and his poured out blood, which open up every single time we call upon his name, every single time we come forward with open, empty hands to receive the possibility of forgiveness and the hope of new and, and everlasting life. Will you guys pray with me? And Father, for the water and the blood that flow from Jesus' side, we give you thanks. It's by that water that we are baptized and brought into your life. It's by that blood and that body that we're sustained and made part of your body, active and working in this world. Give us imaginations, give us um, minds that remember your goodness and faithfulness. Give us courage to enter into the neighborhood of chaos around us, knowing that your spirit is hovering, ready to make peace. And we thank you for this word. We thank you for all these gifts in Jesus' name. Amen.